The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, health, environment, and the power of water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleiner. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, the power of water. In your life, every day, you would not be alive. You would not be healthy. You would not be flexible. You would not be detoxified. You would not be able to live without the water in the air that you're breathing. A lot of people every day forget that water vapor in the air called humidity keeps you alive. The moment you were born, you entered in the air you breathe from the pocket of water in that delivery at that moment. You entered into the planet Earth to live until you pass. What is that secret? What is Earth's secret? The nature of the secret is you lived in a pocket of water for almost nine months. Then you entered into the earth of where you will live. And what the nature of living, keeping you alive is, is that water vapor in the air. It must be clean. It must be fresh. It cannot be anything but healthy. Now, the water on the surface of the earth is influenced by the water in the air from the beginning of time over 2 billion years ago. Earth was surrounded by water vapor and then all of a sudden the water came to Earth but when there's raining, when it started raining, there's no water vapor in the air. The water in the air has become raindrops. The rain is pulled out of the air. The raindrops come down And when the rain drops coming down in different parts of the earth first, depending upon the atmosphere and the solar system around earth, it pounded into the earth and down in the center of earth became a storage of water in what we call aquifers. And when those aquifers would fill up, all of a sudden we had water at the surface of the earth, fresh water. The fresh water was influencing the water vapor, but the water vapor influences the fresh water on the surface of the earth. Seawater became, when the waters would come, travel down to the lowest points to what we call now the salt water, the sea waters, the ocean waters. Then ocean water came after fresh water. So therefore, then the species, the water as a species, began to develop that what was now known, the species of life on the planet Earth, all influenced by the air you're living in, the water vapor. A lot of people forget that. It is vital. Our, we're sponsored by, and I'm founder of, Biologic Aqua Research Center. 
We're located in Grants Pass, Oregon. And that research center that I started many years ago was because I determined it was time that we started living with the planet Earth and its water as a primary source of all healthy life. And to also respect the fact and admire the secret life of the Earth's planet, the nature of its secrets, our water first. And without the water in your life, and your body is 80 to 90% water, parts of the body break up into the blood, the muscles, the fat, the brain, the eyes. Did you know that the surface of your eye is 98% water? And the moment you entered in that delivery and that eyelid opened, you had the, the water vapor was your greatest influence for healthy vision vision of your of your eyes. Without healthy air, what is going to happen to your eyes? They're going to go dry. Each person, no two eyes are alike. No two fingerprints are alike. What is your life on earth? It's a dehydration process. Evaporation from the body coming through the skin. Your skin is like the surface of your, of your life. But the eyes, when that eyelid is open, is exposed to the vapor of the water in the air. And the, because it's connected to the brain in the womb, the eyes and the brain connect at the same moment. What was nature's reason for doing that? As soon as you were born, your eyelid opened, and that water vapor was going to support your supplement, supply you water from the air, as long as your eyes are open. But if it isn't supply enough for your individual dehydration, evaporation of the eye, the brain kicks in on overload. So therefore, we... We, so therefore, when you begin to think about an anxiety, when you begin to think about stress, what is stress? Dehydration. The brain is over 80% water. And with the brain kicking in and providing you the hydration you need for the rest of the body, the circulatory system, your, your mouth, your nose, your uh, blood, but what about the eye? What is the description of dry eye? Dehydration of the eye. The water of the eye, you have a tear film at the surface of the eye, and nature gave you that clear, invisible film in three layers. There's the lipid layer, the upper layer. The aqueous layer is the water layer. The mucin layer is attached to the cornea of your eye. That must have a supplement every moment of the day when your eyelid is open of water coming from the air, 100% water, not the eye drop, the chemicals, water. So therefore, what is the description of dry skin? Water loss. What is the description of dry eye? Water loss. Now you're understanding the power of water. Are you drinking 8 to 10 glasses of water a day? You should because your body is water. Did you know that if you're not drinking enough water, you're not setting off enough humidity to detoxify your skin, 
your eyes and, and keep for you to be healthy? And have you ever thought what that influence is on the rest of the world you're living with? The world needs you to be healthy. The world needs you to be hydrated. Therefore, you would be able to expel and add a radiation of water, humidity to the air. They're always telling us, oh my gosh, the population is getting too big. They're going to take away, all this new population is going to take away from the rest of the world's water and what we need on earth. And not really. I don't feel yet that is the, the truth. I don't feel it. I think that if you're healthy, you'll add to the earth. But we've got to become vulnerable to being healthy. We've got to make it what's called the Health Olympics to be healthy. But if you don't put water as your primary life, your primary health issue, you will be left behind and become the dust. I am totally convinced of this. You must drink water. You must look at your bath and your, t- uh, uh, and your shower as your therapy. How you eat. What should you eat? Try to stay away from too much red meat, if, if at all, and in, in a very little fish and chicken and pork, if at all, and get into your dark green vegetables. Because the body gets too acidic if you're not drink, eating enough dark green vegetables like arugula, spinach, broccoli, chard, kale. All the things that give you dark green give you an alkaline substance in the body that could become too acid if you acidic if you're not drinking enough water and getting the proper foods and digesting. You must digest your food every day. If that stomach begins to swell, know you did something wrong every day. Proper sleep. When earth goes to sleep, you should go to sleep. You should learn how to sleep. Don't just take, let's say, I'm going to put my head on the pillow and I will go to sleep. Learn how you personally can go to sleep. Exercise. The body has to move, have a motion. You've got to have a movement. You need adequate, proper exercise. But the one thing I've learned in my research, if you want to pound down the pavement every day, if you pound those feet and tennis shoes down the pavement every day, you're going to find a dehydration process accelerating. Do it in moderately. Learn your own secrets that if you crave to go for a run, learn how to do it properly. Learn how to work at slowing down the dehydration of your body. It's already evaporating. The moment you're born, you're losing water. And the water that you're dehydrating is your life expectancy. Trust me. Have you noticed that they're curing cancer, learning more about the molecule in the cell? Have you noticed that with uh, going blind, they're learning more about stem cells in the eyes, which is a molecule of water in the cell. Have you noticed in Alzheimer's what we're learning every day about the molecule in the cell? What is the Earth's secret? It's the Earth's spa water. Stop and think about it. That's what this show is all about, the power of water and reminding you to save your life, and you'll save someone else's. I need to tell you, I've been known for water for a long time. When my parents 
would go fly fishing in the North Umpqua near Roseburg, Oregon. I found myself swimming across the river before I learned to swim, and they were worried sick. I always loved water, and my family, when they had a cabin with my grandparents, uh, Pete and Ruby Pritchett, my grandparents in Grants Pass, Oregon, every Friday would get in uh, and, and get in their car and go down on the Rogue River, take the boat across the river, up a cream, up a creek, into up a stream to their cabin. I've been around the mountains of Oregon and in the waters of Oregon all my life. Now, is that surprising that I would be loving water? I want to thank my daughter and her husband from Hilton Head, Florida, for Christmas. Christina Wick uh, Peters, Bob and Christina Peters gave me a book on water. And the kids are always giving me something new on water. But the book is fabulous. It's called Fresh Water, The Essence of Life. And in the book, it says, Mom, to our queen of the water, long may you reign. Love you, Tina and Bob. You know, the book is just absolutely breathtaking. And around the world, the people that we have had from all over the world discussing the power of water. But this book says this, and I would like to read what people write because I don't want it to be just my words. Imagine that Earth is a classroom globe, about 30 centimeters across, and just about half of the millimeter thick. That half millimeter is the space on Earth within which life lives, the biosphere and the Earth. From space, our biosphere is blue. Almost 71% of the surface area of the Earth is covered by water. About 15% of the biosphere. Fresh water passes through the biophysical environment, and then Earth depends upon fresh water every day. Now, remember that water, water, water. And there's waters going on all over the world. We're having problems with water. We're having the population growth last week. The last two weeks grew in throughout the world by 4,737,952 people on Earth that are needing water. But in Greenland, there's a new announcement. Big surprises, it says... Hide beneath the frozen surface of snowy Greenland. They found an enormous 100 billion tons of water. So with exploration, we're going to find water all over the world. In aquifers, it's called. Hidden aquifers. But there is a crisis also with water that we're finding in the United States. There's going to become water wars between states and cities because we don't, we're, we're feeding way too much fresh water to others that had not protected their waters. And there's a freshwater crisis on clean water throughout the world. The water you drink today has likely been around in one form or another since the dinosaurs. Hundreds of millions of years, it says. While the amount of fresh water on the planet has remained fairly constant over time, continually recycled through the atmosphere and back into our cups, the population has exploded. This means that every year, competition for clean water is becoming greater and greater and greater for your drinking, your cooking, your bathing, 
and just for agriculture, for you to have your food. So stop and think about the water you're drinking, how important it is. Scientists are concerned. My research center does nothing but study the atmosphere, fresh water. We're the only company like it in the world. And we study the water of the earth in the atmosphere and what its influence is on you. We put millions and millions of dollars behind that. And we realize that the education behind that is vital to you. Where Our guest is Alan Simberg today. I think he just arrived. And we're going to take a moment with our sponsor, Biologic Aqua Research's Nature's Tears Eye Mist, with just a mist to supplement the surface of your eye with 100% tissue culture grade of water, with just a mist. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be back with Dr. Simberg. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Today we have a Dr. Simberg, Dr. Alan Simberg, who's a PhD. And Dr. Simberg has a PhD in counseling psychology. He has a degree and master degree in marital and family counseling, educational psychology, counseling and guidance and sociology. Doctor, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Sharon. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Are you? I hope you're here. Okay, because I hear you got a, you had a you were a little late, so we we were waiting for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, it sounds like you've been spending uh, 36 years of your life at doing what you do. So tell us a little bit why. I always do this, Doctor. Why did you get involved in what you do? Because we all have a reason uh, we do what we do. I, I, I really believe that. Well, actually, I remember when I was very young, and this is actually what I think awakened me to what I wanted to do, um, I was sitting on a piano bench in my parents' home, and I heard my parents talking in the kitchen. And my father was telling my mother that someone was coming over, and he was going to talk with her because she needed some advice. And I remember thinking at that moment, I would like to do that someday. 
And then later on, about a year or two later, when I was in grammar school, I used to come home for lunch, and there was a, show, a TV show with a therapist talking to different people. And I remember wanting to watch that show, and I have no idea why I was so drawn to that at the time. But in listening to it, I remember that I was really interested in understanding how someone could say they have problems and not know what to do about them, and yet somebody who doesn't know them could help them to figure out the answer. That so is, yeah. basically those two experiences. Right. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like walking up to the tree, and even if the tree doesn't talk to you, putting your arms around a tree and talking to the tree. You, everybody needs to, re- to have a relationship with their life. That is true. Yeah. So you've been in this now for 36 years. Yeah. Yes, it's, yes actually, that's true since 1972. Uh-huh. And then you based your whole education on uh, this. Now, tell us about the most fascinating part about what you've been learning since you started giving people uh, an opportunity to, for you to listen to what they're um, what they need to, what they're needing in their life mentally and emotionally well what i find is people need someone to listen to them mm-hmm. and to be able to communicate that they're being heard mm-hmm. and they also need someone to help them not to allow their emotions to interfere with the decisions that they need to make now let's back up a little bit i study dehydration and I'm going to share with you something, why I started this research center so far back in time. I was going to write a book on it and decided to do something about it. I was studying stress, and I was studying terminal diagnosis because I'd been president of American Cancer Society for quite a while, and I was chairman of a, a physician's board and, and, and other things I did with the American Cancer Society and the state board and so on. But I noticed, doctor, that every time a person was diagnosed with terminal diagnosis, they almost gave up. Some didn't, some did. The family was giving up. And I wanted to do something about that. I thought, we've got to get these people not to give up. Fight the diagnosis. Fight the symptoms. Well, then along the way, so far back, a friend of mine, an older woman, was diagnosed wrong by her doctor. And then when she, he finally diagnosed her after two years correctly, she was diagnosed to only live a few months. Her name was Jean Lovejoy. And Jean came to me and she mentioned that. I said, don't you let the family come near you. You fire the doctor, get a new doctor that you're in confidence with, and fight this. And she did it, doctor. She started to make the day count. And she lived much longer for years. And she did amazing things. And it's still a memory of her all these years, make today count here in Grants Pass, Oregon. Well, I decided to get involved in studying the reason of the root of the problems. So I started studying dehydration of the body and what happens to evaporation under stress and the brain and the skin and more. So I follow you well with the emotions of stress. And I knowing that education is vital to people understanding. How do you control your emotions? So we shall go on now. So you've said 
that people need someone to talk to and and share with this emotional um, description so that they can learn to relate to why and how they can deal with the stress. So what do you do when a person comes to you with a description of a lot of emotions? How do you handle them uh, to get their to take control of their own life and kind of separate it from their lives with other people and lives that maybe are bothering them? Uh, how do you deal with people? Because stress today, doctor, is out of control to me. I started studying yeah. over 30 years ago. I sure foresaw something. But how do you deal with so much stress today that people are having? Well, the first thing I do is I listen to what the person is telling me, and I identify what I believe to be the core issues, and I check it out with that person. I ask them. I tell them what I'm hearing them say, and I'm asking them if I'm hearing what they're saying in an accurate way. Then the next thing that I do is I let them understand or I help them to understand that their emotions are basically messages that something is not right with them. They're out of balance in some way. And if they learn how to manage their emotions, so for example, one of the techniques I use is a breathing technique. It's a deep breathing oh, technique. You, good for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which helps them to become more calm in the moment and in a sense be more objective about what they're looking at because usually what's behind the emotion is the thought or the feeling that something can't change and it's going to get worse. So another thing that I do is I help them to investigate their thoughts and help them to see that maybe some of their thoughts are not rational and are contributing to the emotion and that there are other more positive thoughts that can replace them and also be connected to solutions that they immediately put into practice so that they see, and the old expression is the proof is in the pudding. So the idea is to help them to see that they can manage their lives and things can change. Mm -hmm. You're back to the breathing. We've had lots of uh, well-known, respected scientists on here about breathing. Have you ever, let's pretend like we're in our own little lab here today, talking out loud, uh, back and forth. Have you noticed that a lot of your people that come to you with emotional exhaustion, stress, don't know how to breathe? Yes. Yes, definitely. And you follow me for a minute, audience. We don't. Uh, know when you're born, you think it's going to all come natural. It, you have to, our mothers did not teach us, Dr., they taught us a lot, but they did not teach us how to breathe. And that breathing, it cannot just come, uh, oh, I'm breathing. Oh, I, I think I smell that. Doctor, teach our audience what it means to breathe. Well, the most important aspect of breathing is that to recognize that when you're first born, as a baby, there is a natural rhythm to your breath. But as you experience more and more stress, your breathing becomes shorter. And what I mean by that is you tend to breathe more from your chest and less from your diaphragm. If you've ever noticed, when you get upset about something, 
you tend to tense your body and your breaths become shorter. That's all part of the fight or flight response. That's the response that gets you ready to either fight or run, but primarily to protect yourself. Now the muscles will tighten up. Yes. If the body, if your mind is tricking you about how your emotions are handling this, the muscles tighten up, and of course that slows down your breath. Yes. And increases the emotions that you feel, the intensity of the emotions. Exactly. So if a person has um, a moment of, of, of emotional triggering, that all of a sudden they think, oh my gosh, I'm upset, or they didn't think about it, they just allowed it, they didn't discipline it, to be able to control the emotional stress, to, then knowing that I better take some extra breaths. In other words, I think I better start breathing a little differently here, or my muscles will get too tight, and I will be caught up under the vulnerability of stress. And the body takes over rather than your brain. Uh, that's how I look at it, doctor. But um, so when a person's learning how to breathe correctly, there's so many. You know, there's a doctor. There's that uh, uh, during a natural birth, a woman knows how to relieve uh, pain through how to breathe. That's kind of like the breath we're thinking. You're leaving the exhaustion of pain of stress by learning how to breathe at that moment, at the way you should. Yes, I really completely agree with what you said. So the other aspect of what you're also saying is having awareness. The sooner you can become aware of your upsetness and your emotions and initiate the relaxing breathing technique, it really helps you to decrease the effect of the emotions almost immediately and really helps you to have a more open mind and identify the solutions that can be most helpful. It's kind of like Dr. Rabin should be trained in a boot camp. In other words, our military troops and different people that go through exercises and, and the training for the Olympics and more on uh, different kinds of exercise, you go through these trainings of learning how to deal with the brain and the emotions of, of, of your exhaustion, emotions of your, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And the people have to learn on the planet Earth, you can do it. You can do it. It's like the heroes of the world going up against odds of emotions. It's all your emotions. And it's, it, it don't, do you agree with me? It, don't you think that sometimes we trick ourselves? We, it, the, you let the evil come into the brain, I can't. And then something else says you can. And then something, no, you can't. But you've got to learn to breathe. You've got to learn to react as if you can. You can. And you always can deal with the emotions of it. If you're willing to do it the way you should, with a discipline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And in fact, in working with addictions, there's a phrase that's commonly used, Fake it till you make it, and basically, there you go. With that, Good yeah, Good yeah. You, you you live recovery, even though it may be a struggle, but you live it as best as you can, and it becomes more natural as time goes on. Exactly, we're all in the health Olympics together. 
We mm-hmm. have to listen to our sponsor for a minute, and we'll be right back, and we're going to discuss that because that's another thing that's going on today with all these uh, problems that we're having, returning to a medication, a drug, uh, a sugar soda. We're turning to chocolate. We're turning to anything to relieve it. And I think people need to do it just the way you just described it. Uh, doctor, don't go anywhere. We want you to stay there. We'll be right back. Or listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, with just a mist. Did you know that at the surface of your eyes, when they're dry, and they can cause stress when your eyes are dry, it affects the brain. That when you have a dry eye, what is that? Lack of water. Your eyes are evaporating. They're dehydrating. You need water. Not the eye drop yet. It's the water. Well, listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, with just 100% tissue culture grade of water and just a mist. We'll be right back with Dr. Simber. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Stenberg, you are right about the emotions and what people do when they get exhausted. They want to turn to something that they think will solve it. And they, they're not realizing, and this is, follow me, and then maybe you and I can talk about where you come from, too, on this. The dehydration process of the body, to me, is, is causing this. Uh, the body was in a womb of water, and it entered in the air, and no two eyes are alike, no two fingerprints are alike. Everybody's dehydrating differently. When I think of addiction or uh, something that we've done to abuse ourselves, with emotions. I always look at it like that person is not drinking probably enough water, number one. They're probably on a diet that's maybe affecting them. I'm looking at not enough sleep. I'm looking at maybe too much exercise or not enough. I'm always looking at that person as if the addiction or the emotions are are kicked off because of something in the body that's not giving them the energy to be able to deal with it emotionally. So I go at it from that end. 
you probably are going from it at an an, an, an arena, an end of the problems, the symptom of the problems, is maybe it's uh, came from a, a genetic, uh, maybe the family or whatever. And I'm always looking at a person, and there's so much addiction to so much today. I mean, I'm going to say to the world out there, it isn't just illegal drugs. It's not legal drugs. It's, 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 look at these energy drinks. You probably did what I did. When they first started coming out with those energy drinks, I was worried sick, doctor. Because people then again would be able to buy a quick fix instead of wanting to discipline themselves and do it for themselves. So tell us where you come from. When a person has, it comes to you, they're emotionally having a challenge and they're wanting a prescription or they're needing something real quickly to help solve it because you know, you and I both know, people don't go see the doctor until much later they're already wrapped up in the symptoms. I don't care what symptom it is. So how do you handle that? Well, the first thing that I do is I identify anything and everything that I believe will give that person hope that things can be better. And I explain my ideas in the most simple way possible and from within a holistic perspective. So, for example, you mentioned water. Very logical connection between alcoholism and dehydration. When a person drinks, the alcohol turns to sugar in their stomach, and sugar tends to dehydrate the system, which, considering all the different effects, but one of the most important to consider is the effect on the brain. If the brain doesn't get enough water, enough oxygen, enough energy, it can't think right. If it can't think right, the person can't make the decisions that they really need to make and identify the proper solutions. So what I basically do with people is I identify for them from what they've told me all the different aspects of their life, physical, psychological, emotional, nutritional, spiritual, all the different aspects that seem to be the most affected and then I identify solutions for them to use to help them to get back into better balance. You probably see so much because so much is going on. There's, I just can't imagine what's going on out there, Morgan. Every family is affected um, about somebody in the family or some close friend of the family is affected. What do you believe in about, and I don't want to put you in a spot, about all the medications or prescriptions that are being filled for people who do get there too late. I'm, I'm, I know when a doctor has to deal with the symptoms and the emotions and they want a quick fix. They think the quick fix in a prescription is going to be working. There's so, here in Oregon, I don't know if you knew this, Oregon writes more prescriptions for painkillers than any state in the United States. Mm-hmm. So when I saw that, I thought, well, they're probably writing a lot of prescriptions for emotional pain, too. And so we have a lot of people all over this country. And what, what happened in Sandy Hook in Connecticut? What happens with these different individuals who are going through these emotional times of their lives? They're on medications of some nature that 
probably they overdid the medication. How do you deal deal with that, doctor, when you you know they are? Your question is if I know they're on medication? Yeah, they're on medication and they're over-medicating themselves. Well, the first thing I do is I ask them what they think about continuing to take the medication and if they want to continue to take it or if they want to find a way not to need it. Mm-hmm. I am not a medical doctor, so I cannot tell them to stay on it or to get off of it. Mm-hmm. I need to tell them, obviously, to follow the doctor's instructions. Mm-hmm. However, I also believe in free will. And what I find is the majority, if not all of the people that come to me, are tired of their medications. They don't want that crutch. They want to learn how to live their lives without that crutch. Mm-hmm. So basically what I tell them is let's see how you feel and how you think as we work together. And if you notice that you're starting to feel better and better, what you might do is contact the physician that has prescribed your medication and talk with them about the possibility of either tapering or perhaps even stopping it to see how you can manage without using it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you know about nutrition as the assisting rather than the medication, changing the diet. Have you learned anything about that? Yes, and really the core of what I always focus on with people is the relationship between blood sugar. There you go. So blood blood sugar levels and hormone levels. Carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. Yep, and dehydrated, being dehydrated. The importance of water, I always talk to people about how much water do you drink, Mm -hmm. and I give them the guideline of half Mm -hmm. your body weight in ounces, Mm -hmm. and I explain to them, as crazy as it may sound to some people, that if you increase your water intake, that can contribute to your feeling better. Mm -hmm. And another thing, I I might feel studying hydrotherapy, the other thing is getting those patients, individuals, to start taking more baths, not just a shower. Mm-hmm. The reason why, so far back in time, they learned uh, before the 1900s came along and they started making showers so convenient, and we all love the convenience, but the bath detoxifies you. What is happening in the body with an emotional person is they're full of toxin also, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And if they're not drinking enough water, which is obviously every signal, every symptom, because they wouldn't, they'd be able to balance it if they were taught as a child to drink enough water during the day. But baths, we left the baths behind, and a bath can detoxify the person who's under emotions. I've said this to people with even the common flu and the cold. Go have a bath with lots of Epsom salts. Get that toxin out of there, even if you have to do two a day. Back to the nutrition, though. We're finding with people coming on our show from all over the world, my doctors on my medical team, mostly ophthalmologists, surgeons. But the thing is, we found that even the eyes doctor, we had a doctor on here from Johnson & Johnson, Dr. Scott Jens, and we were talking about infancy and eyes. And a lot of people that grow up emotional end up in prisons, many, is because there was something in the, they didn't catch the problem of the eyes. And the anxiety, uh, I don't know how many of your patients you send to the eye doctor, but the eyes could be an anxiety from birth. 
that they didn't know were causing their emotional anxiety because they didn't catch it in time. And our, because our eyes are a, a great influence on living with the atmosphere we're living in. I've always looked at that atmosphere doctor as the prime suspect of what the person's not dealing with. Mm-hmm. But nutrition, the doctors and all of the doctors and all of these, uh, I don't care if it's my dental team, my orthopedic team, uh, my uh, ophthalmology team, optometry team, uh, whatever team it may be we work with, is they're finding nutrition as a balance to get them off that sugar, get them detoxified, get that carbohydrate down, get them taking serious the dark green vegetables, the alkaline substance, because maybe the body is getting too acidic if they're not drink, eating enough, drinking enough water and getting enough alkaline food in them like dark green vegetables. So that's why I asked you about nutrition. Uh, it's so important in their emotions. Yeah, I, I really agree with what you're saying. You know, as, as you kind of hinted at earlier, the medical profession tends to focus more on symptoms and treating the symptoms as opposed to the overall functioning of the body and really getting to the cause of why a particular person might be having specific symptoms. Right, the root of the problem. Yep, yep. And like you're saying, nutrition, I mean, where are we without good nutrition? You know, it's where's your car without gas? Right, the old thing, your car can't operate without being taken care of and you'll break down. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So when you're dealing with your uh, patients, your clients, now let's go to the marital relationships. You handle that too, and there's a lot of frustration going on all over the world, not just in America. What is happening to the relationship between um, these partnerships? Now we're having partnerships with two men, two women, not just a man and a woman, but... What are you finding with these partnerships that are that most challenging for them? I'm finding that the economic stress is having a profoundly negative effect on their ability to be intimate and to communicate their deepest needs. So many people that come to see me are in what I call survival mode. They're just trying to get by. Mm-hmm. And so you can be in a relationship and still be lonely. Mm-hmm. And I find that people want more intimacy, but they have to put so much energy just into surviving. And I mean that more from an economical point of view rather than from a physiological point of view. Mm-hmm. But then also what happens, obviously, is their health starts to break down, and then that affects their relationship. Well, their confidence that breaks yes. down and their will to discipline yes. and then all of a sudden it begins to crumble. Mm-hmm. So how do you deal with that? Well, again, it may sound simple, but I give each person the opportunity to talk about what it is that troubles them and I help them to understand a very important listening technique that when someone is speaking, you listen And you don't just think about what you're going to say, and you don't sit there critically and judgmentally assessing what they're saying. You hear what they're saying from their point of view, 
So this is basically a communication style that I teach mm-hmm. and how to communicate back to the other person that they're mm-hmm. being heard. Mm-hmm. And is there a request for some kind of change? Is the person willing to do that? Okay, now let's identify how we can go about doing that. And then I go back and forth between each person within the relationship to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so sad, too, uh, Doctor, about what's going on inside of the family uh, with the children. Uh, you know, when you were a little kid, when you first were telling me that when you were in the piano and you were listening to your parents, I thought, oh, gosh, it was, I really did my head clicked like maybe your parents were arguing about something and you decided. <laughs> you tricked me. <laughs> you, you went over to, oh, I want to, have, I want to also give it advice to someday to help people through it. But anyway, if people listening, kids listening to their parents disagree, argue, fight, um, it's hard on children because they have a home. They're caught up under, under a roof, living in the walls of the doors shut and, and the family's intimacy and emotions living inside that home when the father and the mother don't always agree and didn't teach the children, we won't always agree. We're going to have moments of frustrations. Please ignore us like you fight with your brothers and sisters or your friends. Um, that's been becoming very challenging today uh, because there's so much open. I've got to be. I've got to be natural. I'm gonna. We're gonna fight and say it the way it is. All the ugly words and all the things that come out because I have to be so natural. I got to be honest. And the kids are being. Uh, they're not hiding it from the kids anymore like they used to in the old world. Uh, doctor, I'm 72 years old. My parents used to hide a lot. And was there anything wrong with that? I don't think so, personally. I used to go to school. My p- teachers used to hide a lot. Their private lives were their lives. And what, what people are today think, oh, well, you've got to take your clothes off and, and be t- nature, be truthful, be honest, be upfront. Do you believe, doctor, how, I don't agree. I think people need to start being a little more subtle about being so nature. Uh, you, could, you could, could disagree with me. Inside the well, home today, it's so hard. And like you said, the economic conditions of our lives all over the world, but in America, have taken a huge impact that the middle America and, the, and other people in America have not had an economic return. They're under more exhaustion of expenses than they have been for years and surprises that come up every month. And the, the frustration, which would cause a lot of marriages to probably begin to give up. Are you finding yeah, that out? Yes, but what, what I find is we need to have more of a balance. I, I do agree that there are some things that really do need to be kept private. However, I think there's a difference between having a disagreement as opposed to just outright arguing and fighting and maybe getting nasty with each other. I think it's really helpful for children to see adults disagree, especially if the adults can demonstrate the proper way to communicate about their disagreement and come to some resolution. But for a child to grow up in a home where all there is is fighting and bitterness and throwing things and hitting I do believe that can be damaging to the child. 
It's, it's, there's a thing in, that's taught out there, environmental conditioning. Would you explain to me what your description of environmental conditioning, would that be it? How you live in your home? Yeah, it's basically whatever is happening in the environment, especially obviously where you most frequently have your activities, you learn from that. So if if you go to a school where there's a lot of bullying, you know, you either withdraw because you're afraid or you join in because you're afraid. Yeah, we only have two minutes left, but I'm glad you brought up the word bullying. It happens at homes. Mm -hmm. It happens at homes. Yep. I honestly, I, you could, you're the expert, I am not. When a child is bullied at home by someone, they go to, to school bullying too. I, am I wrong? What did they learn how to bully? Mm-hmm. You have to learn it from somewhere. Exactly. And they seem to think it gets them somewhere, it gets them prestige, gets people to be fearing them, and they get stronger at bullying. And they always mm-hmm. pick somebody who's probably the most polite person they could pick. Mm-hmm. That is out of control also. Yep. Now, we only have a minute left on, uh, would you like, you can do an overview today of what you believe the audience should be learning more about themselves. Well, I, I think the essence of it is to be able to be open about what the parts of you are that you really like, the parts of you that you want to change. I always recommend and encourage people not to judge. Just identify, and the things that you do not want to keep, find a way to change them. Understand what's motivating you to be a certain way. Basically, understanding how to manage your fears and identify solutions to achieving peace of mind as often as possible, I think, is really the key. You know, one of the things I was thinking, and I've got to pull this in, have you ever noticed so far back in time, our forefathers, and, and historically, they wrote a lot. They wrote mm-hmm. journals about their mm-hmm. feelings. They wrote journals just to have some, they, they, they didn't have all these brilliance of having the television tell them, and, but they wrote journals. And what about people writing a diary, a journal about how they feel to help them out and um, to kind of help them get through the day? Well, I think that's really a good idea because one of the benefits to writing is not only being able to go back and see what you wrote, but when you write, you tend to calm your emotions and you come more from your mind, which helps you to really identify what you want to work on and ways to do it. Right, to analyze yourself. Yes. Well, thank you. I hope you had a wonderful holiday season. I thank you for getting to the show today. Uh, we'll have to do another one someday on bullying because I'm really very concerned about the lack of understanding or the description of what it means to bully another, to embarrass or do something that is trying to embarrass another human being's life. But I want to thank you for coming to visit with us today, and uh, I hope to have you on again one day. Okay, Sharon. Thank you very much. You have, you a, have happy a happy New holiday. Year. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. Well, we learned a lot, and uh, we only have a minute left, but I want to tell the world out there, you know, we have so much to be grateful for with this planet Earth, and it's like Gene Cernan, the astronaut that was on the moon, and he looked back at the Earth, and he said, that's God's porch, and any time you think there is not any faith on this planet, there's something wrong. The planet is full of faith. 
and your individual faith and where you come from is our planet Earth living with a solar system. But we have the power of water. And remember, it's the water that keeps you alive. It helps your emotions. It helps you breathe. And that breathing is vital to you. Embrace your life every special moment and breath and embrace somebody else's. But Earth whispers to us, don't say goodbye. Leave something of yourself behind. But I'm always going to say that power of water, we need it for eternity. I want to thank you for listening. You have a wonderful new year. I'm going to date this show, 2013, but you have a wonderful 2014. And God bless. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel, with an encore Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinerHour.com. Oh,